Revelation chapter number 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Of course, we know this is John, and we're going to be looking at all this, this chapter here tonight, or at least some things about John in this chapter. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps or the chest with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were like white, well, white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace. <clears throat> Excuse me. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, that's what I want to focus on tonight, that thought. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You know, for a man to be an apostle in the New Testament was required that he see the resurrected Lord. Um, they, I think they also included they wanted to see him while he was here on earth and then after his resurrection. And when Judas, of course, fell out of the twelve, uh, they picked Matthias uh, there by casting the lot in Acts chapter number 1. But he was not God's choice, I don't believe. I believe Paul was God's choice to be the twelfth apostle. And, of course, Paul saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. We've had some people today in our recent days, recent years, claim to see the Lord. Uh, a pretty well-known preacher sometime back said he saw him and he was 900 feet tall. Uh, that'd make him a monster. Uh, Jesus is in a body like ours. It's a glorified body, but it's a human body uh, in heaven, uh, he was 100% man and 100% God. And so when he suffered physically, it was real suffering. And when they nailed him to the cross, it was real pain. And when he died, it was real death. And three days and three nights later, he was resurrected and he has a glorified body. But that glorified body still bears the marks of the crucifixion. If you remember, Thomas said, I won't believe until I can put my finger in the nail prints in his hand and thrust my hand into his side. And so Thomas spent eight days uh, in the doom and gloom when the other apostles had already seen the Lord. They're all excited, and, but not Thomas. But he showed up on that, that eighth day on a Sunday evening. And when the Lord appeared, uh, he, the Lord said to Thomas, Put your fingers in my hands, thrust you in my side, be not faithless but believing but Thomas didn't have to do that. He just fell on his face and said, My Lord, my God. And, of course, the Lord said to him, Blessed art thou. But he said, More blessed are those who believe who have not seen. That's us. Uh, we've not seen the Lord. People claim to see things, visions and whatnot. There's no reason to have a vision today. Stop and think. We've got a completed record of the Word of God. So if all I'm going to learn is something that's in the Bible, then I've already got the Bible. If I want to learn something's not in the Bible, I've got to call it into question. So there are some things that, that we needed in the early days of the church 
that we no longer are relying upon. We have a completed record of the Word of God. So some who've claimed to see the Lord, uh, there's nothing to confirm it and quite a bit to contradict it. I'm not saying God could not reveal himself, but he appears from the Scripture to have chosen not to use that methodology in the latter days. But here's the question. How can we see the Lord? How can we see him? Because the Bible says right here, John said, and when I saw him. I want you to think about John's experience on Patmos. He was exiled there because of his testimony, but really the testimony of Jesus. If we continue on reading in the scripture, he was said, I was in the isle that is called Patmos, uh, you know, for the, my, for the testimony of the Lord. Look back over with me in verse number 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all things that, uh, that he saw. And so we see in verse number 9, I, John, who am also your brother, companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so he's there. Why? Because he had testified uh, to the truth. Rome had two kinds of exiles. They had exiles that they put on islands, and they had exiles that they locked up and put on islands. So they, they were pretty good at using islands for those things. Patmos was a penal colony, uh, just like Georgia was here. Uh, Georgia was a place where they put all the criminals, and hope you don't have kinfolk from Georgia. I do. Uh, but uh, that's where they put the criminals uh, when they shipped them over from, from England. So Patmos was a penal colony, and it more than likely had mines. A lot of folks believe they had salt mines there, where the exiles would be forced to work. Uh, Paul, or excuse me, John's testimony was that he preached Christ, and just preaching Jesus called oppo- caused opposition from the world, and they locked him up. We said, that'll never happen again. Don't have to worry about that. Our president doesn't care if you're a Baptist or a Methodist or whatever you are, and I think he's a quote-unquote practicing Catholic that supports abortion and the LGBTQIA crowd. But basically our government has not tried to interfere. That doesn't mean they won't. They did at one time. Our Baptist forefathers were locked up in this country for preaching. Presbyterian preachers were locked up for preaching. Uh, our, our, when you get people in control who want to control religion, you don't know what you're going to wind up with. And if you take a stand today for the Scriptures, just for truth, and listen, we want to be compassionate towards people who are sinners, regardless of what kind they are. They're just sinners who need to be saved. We're not angry at them. We're not mad at them. We're not trying to hurt them. We're not conspiring against them. But because we preach that those things are sin, sooner or later the government's going to come down and say you can't do that. They're already doing it in some places. Canada, uh, Australia. Uh, they, in Philadelphia, they arrested a guy standing on the street corner. There was a gay pride parade going by, and he was reading Bible verses, so they arrested him, took him away. They had to turn him loose, but they did arrest him. How many of y'all have seen a gay pride parade? Just a video one. I cannot, with Christian terms, describe to you the vulgarity that's involved with those things. 
Uh, I, I don't even know if I'd recommend you look at one. But they hold up signs about God making him a part of the LGBTQIA movement. Uh, they hold up signs with other words. They parade around um, almost so naked that it doesn't make any difference. And people take their kids to see these things. And so as we take a stand against these types of sins and, and preach against and not because we're trying to hurt people, the only way that people can come to Christ in salvation, they got to know they're not with him now. You got to get people have to understand they're lost before they can get saved. So John's testimony was he preached the gospel and that put him contrary to the government of the day. And Nero probably is the emperor who put him on the island. And what had happened when John would preach is heathens, pagans got saved. People who worshipped statues and idols and different things got converted and that made him persona non grata by the government. There's some details about the island. It's kind of a barren island. It didn't have a whole lot of grain growing crops on it. But one fellow said this about it. It abounded in partridges, quail, turtles, pigeons, snipe. Yes, there is such a thing as a snipe. And rabbits. And uh, so had some wildlife. And also because there were several places around the island that made good for uh, uh anchoring a ship in later days it was infested with pirates so patmos has a little something about it what about uh, john's exile his faith was he was there because he believed the bible he believed the bible that's what the scripture says there i was in the island called patmos uh, for the testimony for the word of god and for the testimony of jesus let me read something to you over the in the book of first john first john chapter number two on pages there you go first john chapter 2 whoso denieth the son the same hath not the father but he that acknowledges the son hath the father also so he was there because of the word of god and because he honored christ and honoring christ he honored the father and the bible is very very clear about that he's there because of his family verse number nine he said i'm your brother and companion in tribulation and of course being persecuted this church is as much my family as my own blood is. Uh, I'm an orphan now. My mom and my dad have both gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, the last one of that generation is my aunt, Aunt Robbie. Uh, she's 93, lives around the corner. I, I tease her and mom. I said, you know, the two of y'all are 188 years old combined. And, you know, here's Aunt Robbie taking care of mom. But uh, you are as much my family as my blood kin are. Uh, and wherever I go in the world and I meet God's people, I find that to be true. Uh, I found it to be true in Egypt. I found it to be true in, in Jordan. I found it to be true in Romania. I found it to be true in, in Poland. I mean, they, you know, God's people are God's people, and they love God's people wherever you come from. So John's exile was for his faith and because of his family. Well, what was John's mission there? What was he going to do? He's put on this little island and they tell me if you start at one point go all the way around it measures about 30 miles in circumference so that's not very big you could probably walk across it in a, in a pretty quick time but he was put there on this small island out in the middle of the the uh, mediterranean there 
And while he was there, God revealed him the, the expanse of biblical prophecy. The, the book of Revelation tells us all kinds of things that are going to be happening. It doesn't tell us everything. Remember the seven thunders uttered their voices? John said, I was about to write. I think he was left-handed like me. And John said, I was about to write. And God said, don't do it. Seal it up. So he's placed on this island to have exposed to him or explained to him the broad expanse of prophecy. He was to give a message to all of God's people. Look in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. So God didn't give us this book to confuse us. Don't let anybody tell you you can't understand the book of Revelation. You can. It is very linear. It moves forward. There are parenthetical sections where it stops to explain what's going on, but it doesn't reverse course. It doesn't hopscotch around. It goes straight through linear uh, motion, and you can understand it that way. So he gave it to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So John was there to receive this message of prophecy, but not just to receive it, but to give it. John lived long enough, they took him off the island and took him back to Ephesus. Most people believe he died at Ephesus, uh, probably somewhere around 100 years old or so. And the testimonies that I have read that were written records uh, uh, said that as they would take him into church, he wasn't able to walk anymore. He's so old and feeble, and they'd been abused by the, uh, the Romans that they would carry him in and said he'd wave his hand and smile at everybody and say, little children, love one another. Love one another. And you find that theme all through the book of 1 John. While he is there, look at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That doesn't mean he was in a trance. It means he was hooked up close to God in his worship. He was meditating on the things of the Lord and he got in the Spirit. Uh, if you've been saved any length of time, there's been some time in your life when God's pulled up close to you. And that's what this is. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And of course, we know he turned to see, and the Bible says, when I saw him. So he heard a great voice, verse 10, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, verse 11, and the trumpet sounding voice said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. Most conservative Bible scholars believe that these seven churches lay out the history of the church age. They certainly seem to do so, but we need to remember that all seven of those churches existed at the same time. Uh, when they were written to by, by John. But if, if we lay them out and say that they show the, the history of the church, we're in the Philadelphian slot. Uh, we have a little strength. God's put a little door, open door before us. We're doing more for missions given than we've ever done before in the history of our church in a single year. And so God's put before us a little door, uh, open door, and we have some strength. The Laodicean church is the church where people are always demanding their rights. I demand this, I demand that. And there may be some overlap, but if you'll remember, uh, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man, the Laodicean church is an apostate church. It's not a good church. 
Jesus says of the Laodicean church, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And so literally, it makes God sick for a church to be either cold or, or neither cold nor hot, but to be lukewarm. So he's in the spirit. He hears a great voice. Verse 17, all this going on, he gives this description of him from verse 12 down to verse, through verse 16. And he said, and when I saw him, put yourself in John's position. You're elderly, so let's say 80s, mid-80s, maybe early 90s. Got some years on you. You're on an island. And you're so plugged into God, you don't care where you are. Because you can worship God any place. And, a, and you hear what he heard, this trumpet sounding voice, clear, loud voice. And when he turns, he sees the resurrected Christ. Now, he'd seen him before. He'd seen him before. He saw him in the upper room. He saw him at the Mount of Ascension. So he had seen the, the resurrected Christ, but he had not seen him like this right here that we're reading about. And he said, and I saw him. Well, what happened when, when John saw him? He was overwhelmed. Uh, far as I know, there's no sin recounted against John, uh, the, the beloved, as he's called sometimes in the Scripture. I don't remember ever reading any, any sin he committed. Like Daniel, there's no sin against Daniel recorded. doesn't mean that neither one of them sinned. It just means it's not recorded. Daniel saw the Lord, and he said he was sick for two weeks. Physically sick. Didn't want to look up, bowed, got on his face, didn't want to look up. John sees the Lord, and because of the corruption and vileness of, of our bodies, no matter how good we are, when we're in the presence of God, we, we see ourselves. And John saw himself, and he was just overwhelmed by the presence of God. I'm a candidate for that any time the Lord wants to give me a little touch of that. But while he's overcome... He said, I fell at his feet, he's dead. He's unmoving, he's just face down. And he, Jesus, laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, fear not. I'd love to hear that. Fear not. I'm the first and the last. Oh, what courage and strength that must have built into to John. He was sustained by the grace of God in this thing. Now, who has seen the Lord. We, I knew this was a Wednesday night, didn't have time to flesh all of this out. But in the Old Testament, Moses, of course, saw him. But there was a time when Moses and the 70 elders of Israel went up into the mount to see the Lord. It's in Exodus chapter 24. If you're making notes, Exodus 24, verses 9, 10, and 11. It said they went up, and the Bible says this, they saw the Lord. And then the Bible says, he did not put his hand on them. And they ate and drank before the Lord at a feast. They saw the Lord. Now, according to Exodus chapter 33, you can't see God in all his glory. So they saw a theophany, a, a visible appearance of someone that they knew was God, a theophany. 
Well, there's a, if you read in the book of Genesis, back up a little bit, a few centuries, get on the other side of Moses, there's a fellow by the name of Jacob. And he's been serving in a far country for his two brides, uh, Leah and Rachel. And he noticed that his daddy-in-law and his brothers-in-law wasn't happy with him anymore. And so he said, we better leave. And they snuck off trying to get away. And the Bible talks about Jacob being there at the, at the river Jabbok, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, his, everybody's on the other side of the river. For some reason, he wasn't. And the Bible says they wrestled with him all the night, a man. And as they're wrestling, Jacob is that's a picture of the flesh fighting and resisting God. And uh, the Lord finally touched him in the inner part of his thigh and weakened his leg. But if Jacob said, I, I won't let you go till you bless me. Don't ever think that meant that he won. Anybody here want to try to take God on tonight? I don't think so. He didn't win in that sense. He won by humbling himself. And he said, thou hast prevailed. He didn't whip the angel of the Lord. He finally gave in to the angel of the Lord, and then he prevailed. But what did Jacob say? Name the place Peniel. Why? I've seen the face of God. You can go to the book of Judges, Manoah and his wife, about Samson, uh, they said they saw the Lord. How about this one? You're real familiar with this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. That's Isaiah. So there, there have been visages, theophanies, appearances of, uh, of God uh, throughout history and throughout the Old Testament. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 19, if you remember, I believe that's God and two angels that came walking along and visited with Abraham. The two angels go to get uh, Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord stands there, and Abraham begins to talk with him and pray with him about not destroying the city, and gets it down to ten, if you'll remember. So there have been some Old Testament folks that, that saw the Lord. All these are special events. They're one-time type of things. Uh, when God revealed himself, and in so doing, he glorified himself in the display of his person. When Moses saw the bush burning, he said, I want to see this wonderful thing. Why is this bush burning and not consumed? My guess is he'd seen other bushes that had caught on fire. And that, and that dry, arid uh, area, you know, they just burn up. I, when I visited uh, Jordan, went through their desert, and I've been through the desert uh, Sinai in, in Egypt. It's dry, believe you me. And when it gets through raining, you can't tell it rained. The, the water just disappears into the sand that quick. And so God glorified himself when Moses came approaching, take your shoes off for the ground whereon thou standest is holy ground. Not only did God glorify himself in, his, in display of his person, but he strengthened his saints by them having these, these uh, theophanies that they were able to see. God spoke to them in a special way. Well, there's some appearances in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 17, and time's getting away. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. After eight days, they went up to the mount, and the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured before them. Uh, if you read all the gospel accounts of it, it says that his raiment was white and glistering. It kind of light that would 
burn your eyes. You know, when you're welding, you got to have a, a, a welding uh, protective screen on uh, lens or you'll burn, blister your eyes. That's the kind of light they were talking about seeing with Jesus. And it was Peter, James, and John up there, and, and they got excited. They saw Moses and Elijah, and they had big name cards. Everybody knew who they were. No, they just knew who they were by the uh, revelation of the Spirit of God. They recognized Elijah and Moses and said, It's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. And then this cloud comes over, and out of that cloud they hear the voice of God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And when they look up, they see nobody but Jesus only. But for just a moment on that Mount of Transfiguration, the humanity of Jesus was rolled back and the, the deity of Christ began to just shine through. So they saw Him there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now that's a pre-crucifixion event. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The 11 apostles are in John chapter number 20, verses 19 and 20. They're in that upper room. And while they're there for fear of men, suddenly the Lord just appears. He just shows up. The last apostle to see the Lord is Saul, who becomes Paul, on his way to Damascus. He's going to lock up as many Christians as he can. He's killing Christians. They didn't just lock them up. They killed them. And while he's on the way, a bright light shone out of heaven and knocked him off of the Cadillac of his day, a donkey. And while what happened, the, the light shone and it blinded him. And the men around him heard the sound, but they couldn't understand the voice. You know, the Bible's very clear about that. They didn't understand the words. And the Lord said to him, you know, why are you persecuting me? And he, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Let me give you three things real quick about these New Testament appearances. The Mount of Transfiguration, he was proven that he was God in flesh. While before the crucifixion, I'm God in flesh. That was the appearance. In John chapter 20, he appears as the resurrected Christ, having conquered death. In the book of Acts chapter number 9, he appears as the Lord of the persecuted church. And, of course, you know what Paul did. He went... Uh, if I could use the term uh, to describe Paul, almost like a maniac, almost fanatical. He was going to, to murder Christians, and when he got converted, he got a good dose, wouldn't you say? And my soul, he went 100% for God from then till the day that he died. So how are we going to see him? How are we going to see him? This past Sunday, being the 4th of July, by the way, today's Jacob's birthday, and uh, Sunday we'll get him a check and uh, give him a little something from the church for his birthday, but today's his birthday. He's, I think he's 23. But Sunday we sang that song, Battle Hymn of the Republic. And one of the stanzas goes, we've seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They've builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. You may not know it, but large numbers of Federate troops and large number of, of Confederate troops got saved during the Civil War. There was really a revival. Sometimes when they knew there's going to be a battle, they would build these makeshift uh, tabernacles to worship in, and Union troops would join Southern troops, and Southern troops would join Union troops, and they'd worship God together. 
You ought to read sometime about the revivals that took place. So they, the idea was we see his hand in what's going on. We see the move of God. I don't need a vision of God standing on a mountain like, you know, the Catholics have got that thing up there in Rio de Janeiro where they've got this. I think there's three of them in the world, if I'm not mistaken. I don't need to see something like that. Seeing God's hand move. When I get kind of glum, yeah, I do. I don't know if you do or not, but when I get maybe a little down in the mouth, I try to stop and start thinking about somebody that's been saved here in the church and, wa- and, and remember where they were, remember what God brought them from, remember where God's got them now. It puts a little fire in your step. We see Him in His Word. Every page testifies of Christ. I'm reading a book about having a Christian worldview. It talks about how few Christians do. But it said only 19% of Christians in this survey of about 2,500 were reading their Bible every single day. And only about 17% of them had a consistent worldview. And the guy that was writing the book said, isn't it amazing? Those two figures are almost identical. If you read the Bible, you'll have a good view of the world. But so many people have given up on reading the Bible. I don't have time. It bores me. I don't understand it. You can use whatever excuse you want to, but none of them are going to wash. God's not going to accept that. And you, get, you can get stuff out of the Bible if you'll just spend a little time reading it. The book of Proverbs is real plain. I was talking to an atheist one time. said, if I can show you one verse in the Bible that's absolutely true, will you, will you confess that you're wrong and believe the Bible? He said, yeah. I said, it says over here in the book of Proverbs, I forgot the text now, but it says, if you wring a man's nose, it'll bleed. (laughs) Well, he backtracked on me. But if you want to see God, read these pages. Look what John saw. One in the midst of the candlesticks, like unto the son of man. Man, he just describes him. Song of Solomon describes him. Daniel describes him. Every page testifies of Christ. Somehow or another, you can find a thread from every chapter and run it all the way back to Calvary. We can see the hand of God in our life day by day. I had a professor in Bible college. He had a, y'all remember the AMC Gremlins? How many of y'all remember those things? It looked like it come up fresh out of the Jetsons. I mean, that's what it looked like, a little bubble-looking thing with a hood on it. They were not very good cars. But one of our professors had one, and so he, he had to drive from North Carolina down to, pre, to teach, uh, I don't know, about 75, 80 miles one way. And so he said the car never failed him. He said one night I got up to the red light there, and he said the light turned green, I stepped on the gas, and the car went dead. He said I'm fumbling with it, trying to crank it and get it going. He said the 18-wheeler blew through the red light honking its horn. It it had been coming so fast it couldn't stop. He said, after that thing went by, he said, I was shaking. He said, but my car cranked right up. He said, I just believe God intervened. Just God intervened. In in our daily life, we just see him. We see things he does. The last thing I want to tell you is where we see him is in our worship. Prayer. I wonder what we're missing out on by not praying. Remember what Jesus said about a demon-possessed little boy? He said, this kind cometh forth 
only by prayer and fasting. I mentioned to you already the book of Romans where Paul said, Strive together with me. Agonize together with me in prayer. I wonder what we're missing by not praying more. But every once in a while when we pray, we do get on a warm trail, don't we? Oh, how good God is to us. Secondly, and Baptists could learn a little more about this, praise. He's worthy of it whether you feel like it or not. If you come to church and you got a thumping headache or you just don't feel good and, you know, you're sitting there, bless me if you can. I mean, look, if you come to church, you ought to praise God whether you feel good or not. It's not our feelings that matter. You ever wake up and feel wonderful? Boy, just jump out of bed. Man, a great day. I'm going to do this. Get you a good hot shower and comb your hair and get all dressed up. Then you get to work. Hey, we ought to praise him. We ought to praise him at home. Don't just do it here at church. If you do it here just at church and don't do it at home, you're a hypocrite. If you're going to holler hallelujah around here, holler hallelujah at the house once in a while. Our personal time with him. Look over in the book of Revelation chapter 22 and I'll be done. I'll make an application of this text. Revelation chapter 22. One of these days we are going to heaven, you know. Probably sooner than later. In chapter 22, the Bible says, and there shall be no more curse. You know what that means? Won't anybody else die? Nobody else will be sick. Nobody else will ever be hurt by somebody else. No more curse. The curse of sin. All the thorns will be gone off the roses. Rattlesnakes won't bite. You can pick them up and play with them then all you want to. I probably still won't. So there'll be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servant shall serve Him. That word serve, if you look up the root word for it, is worship. Then, verse 4, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. Now, my eyes, you know, I've had cataract surgery, so I can see a little bit better further off than I used to. This one's my best eye. This one's not quite as good. Put glasses on, everything gets pretty good there. I've been to political rallies. Uh, can't remember that guy's name now. Couldn't spell potato. Well, he did spell potato, but they didn't understand it right. I've been in spelling bees. I'm telling you, tomatoes and potatoes both can end O-E-S or O-S, either one. Look it up in the dictionary. But anyway, you're there, and they're off down there somewhere. They had what? I know, I've been to Pickens, South Carolina. God wanted to live there. How many of y'all have been to Pickens besides me? A few of us, yeah. Yeah, we did. It's a pretty small place. They had, what, 50,000 people show up for Donald Trump. Well, I guarantee the folks who was on the, on the far outside edge, is that him? And he couldn't see them either. Heaven's not going to be that way. The terminology there when it says they shall see his face literally means mouth to mouth. It means intimate one-on-one conversation. 
Now, I think when we get to heaven and we first see him, we're going to do like John did. We're going to fall at his feet and just thank him for what he's done. But at some point, we're going to have a face-to-face with God. You can start preparing now by having a quiet time with him. I urge you, I beg you, spend time every single day reading your Bible and praying. And the more you do it, it'll get stronger. It'll become more of a hunger, more of an appetite. And you'll be glad you did. Oh, John's on that island. I don't know about you, but if I was that old, put on an island all by myself, I, I might have mully grubbed a little bit. But he got in the Spirit on the Lord's day. My soul, what God did show him. Now, I'm not expecting God to give me a new book of the Bible at all. But you just never know what, what God might do in your heart and your life to help you if you'll spend some time with him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, take the message and use it to the glory of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.